Our scripture text for today is from Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Before we read it, 12 years of age is often given as one of those times in life when young men and young women mark a transition between their childhood and the adulthood that they're growing into. And while the exact age does differ somewhat with each child, around 12 years of age seems to prove out to be an average time that those changes begin to take place. God's chosen people, the Jews, have a special ceremony that they observe in the early years of their children. The ceremony is called Bar Mitzvah, and for the girls it's Bat Mitzvah. And it's a coming-of-age ceremony for Jewish boys and girls when they reach the ages of around 12 or 13. And that ceremony is intended to mark the time when a boy or girl becomes an adult. And it means that they are now responsible for their own actions. In our scripture today, beginning there in verse 41 of chapter 2, we find a very special event taking place in the life of the Lord Jesus. And he was 12 years old at that time. Now we don't really know if his age of 12 has any significance to the timing of this event. God doesn't tell us that. But it is a curious thing, a curious timing that takes place in the life of the Lord Jesus. May I read those words for us? You may follow along with me, beginning in verse 41 of Luke chapter 2. Now his, that being the Lord Jesus, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Amazing words. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We don't know very much about the childhood years of the Lord Jesus. Many people have speculated. I've actually read some books that were purported to have been written in those early years of the church claiming to describe Jesus's early childhood. But no one really knows much about those years. And because God does limit 
his record of those years to what we read here in these scriptures. I believe it's appropriate for us to accept that God only wants us to know these few things that are recorded here. And so we begin our knowledge of the Lord Jesus when he was 12 years of age. A curious thought that comes to my mind as I read these words, how much did Jesus really know about himself, even at age 12? What knowledge did he bring with him into his birth? Yes, these scriptures tell us clearly and plainly that Jesus was fully human, fully human, but they also tell us that he was fully God. Isn't it curious to consider what this 12-year-old boy knew about himself and also about God? Yes, as we read here, his parents were very dedicated believers in God. We're told here that they brought Jesus to the temple every year for the feast of the Passover. And no doubt he understood what the Passover was all about. And so during those years, he was learning from the good teaching that he was receiving. But listen, think about it. Did he also know that someday he himself would actually be that Passover lamb that they would celebrate? the Passover lamb that would save his people from their sins. Again, we don't know the answers to all of those questions, but we do know that something special was going on in his heart and in his mind at that young age. He knew, listen, he knew that God was his true father, and he said so. And as he sat there in amongst those teachers, those rabbis, his questions were told and his answers amazed them. The word answers is used, which would imply that they may have even asked him some questions. Isn't that wonderful to consider? As I relate this circumstance spoken about here to our own lives and our own day, I know that we as parents are to do as Jesus' parents had been doing. We're to know the truths that are given in these scriptures. And as we're instructed there in Deuteronomy 6, we are to teach them diligently to our children every day. As we lie down, as we rise up, as we walk along the way. And why is that so? Why must we do that? Well, there's many reasons, many godly reasons, among which is the simple fact Folks, children cannot and must not be left on their own to learn the good and right things of behavior for themselves. And especially, they must not be left on their own to learn the truths of God. You and I must teach our children and our grandchildren. All through their growing years, children are learning and they're changing. And those changes are by God's divine design. Childhood is a time of innocence, but we're also told in these scriptures that it's a time of foolishness within the hearts of young people. It's a time when parents need to be very deliberate in the training of their child, and also, whenever necessary, to show a strong hand in the child's discipline. We studied recently the words of Proverbs 22.6 that instruct us as parents to train up your child in the way that they should go and when they're old they'll not depart from it. And then also 
in Proverbs 22:15, God tells us exactly why we are to give our children that training and not fail in our efforts. In those words we're told, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Folks, regardless of what the voice of today's culture calls out for us as parents to do, children are still children. And in many ways, they are all alike. They are unlearned, and they are in need of training, of instruction and correction. And all that is best done by their parents. By their parents. Not by the babysitter. Not by the teacher. Although they can help. That training is best done by parents. And why is that so? And again, for many reasons. The most important of which is, as we mentioned a moment ago, God appointed that task specifically to us as parents. In Deuteronomy 6, he tells us as parents that we are to teach our children diligently. It's our job. No matter what the other pressures of life demand of us. But also, it's because parents are the ones who have first built a relationship with their children. Children trust relationships first, and then they trust the instruction and the discipline. But unfortunately, in today's culture of divorced and struggling families, moms and dads often get their responsibilities all mixed up, and they falter in the design that God has laid out for them. And when that takes place, it's inevitable inevitable that their child will suffer loss and that loss will continue most all the days of that child's life. Truly the responsibility for the, the success or the failure of a child rests squarely on the shoulders of the parents and we as parents must somehow swallow our arrogant pride and accept that responsibility. Yes we do often struggle sometimes a great deal and we try to fulfill all the requirements of life all within those few number of hours that we have in a day. We're busy building our career, participating in our friendships, in hobbies. We get so caught up with our hobbies. I heard a man telling me the other day that he spends four or five days a week on the golf course. It's fun to play golf. I love to play golf. But you do forfeit four or five hours of other opportunities. Hobbies can take so much of our time. Young fathers spend more time on the deer stand or chasing after their dogs after the deer while their children are suffering the loss of that time. We also can get caught up in good things like community activities. But listen, none of that gives us reason or excuse for the failure to train up our children. Looking back over the many years that have come and gone in my own family, I can say without hesitation that every wrong behavior that I see taking place within the lives of my children can be traced directly back to my own failure as a father, to my own failures. Here in today's scripture, we're given a glimpse of just these few short days in the lives of Mary and Joseph as parents and at Jesus as a 12-year-old child. 
just entering into his special time of transition in life. Jesus was changing from being a boy to being a man. And being fully human as well as being fully God, he perhaps had not thought to tell his mom and his dad that he was sensing a strong need to be in the temple, learning things about the deeper truths of the scriptures. And as we know, those changes were obviously taking place because of what Jesus was doing. When his parents returned to find him, they didn't find him playing in the streets with the other children, as he might have done in years past. They instead found him sitting and listening attentively to the teachers in the temple, learning about eternal matters of God the Father. And not only that, the questions that Jesus was asking and the responses that he was giving back to those teachers, they were truly insightful, so much so that those teachers were said to be amazed. And that word amazed also means astonished. Learned teachers astonished at what their student was saying. So Jesus, yes, indeed was changing from being a child into being a man. And again, I wonder if at the time that he sensed that he would be a man like no other, that these words he was learning from these rabbis, that they were mysterious truths that were about him. The Old Testament is filled with truths and prophecies and promises about the Messiah. Did he know that he was learning about himself? Did he know that God was setting him on a special pathway to the salvation of the souls of all mankind? I truly wonder. And again, we do know that Jesus had some measure of understanding of his special calling because of those words that he spoke back to his parents when they found him there in the temple. He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? May I say again that yes, Mary and Joseph were Jesus's earthly parents, but by the compelling unction of the Holy Spirit, Jesus also knew that he had a true father that was not of this earth, not of this earth. He knew that his true father was God the Father in heaven. And I'm convinced that he had heard the mysterious voice of the heavenly father calling out to him to come to the temple to learn of him. We're not told that, but I believe it to be true. And while, yes, as a child of this earth, Jesus must always remain obedient, honoring his earthly parents. He knew also that he must, at the same time, be obedient to his heavenly Father. Didn't you know that I must be about my Father's business? Now here again, as we've noted in earlier messages, the responses that people give to their circumstances are so very important. And those responses must always be the right ones. As Mary and Joseph noticed that their beloved son was missing from the returning caravan, they were concerned, concerned, perhaps even afraid that their son had come to harm. And to add to their anxiety, it took them three days to find him, by which time Mary was overall saying to Jesus, 
Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Mary was obviously upset, and we would have been also. Though Mary should have not worried, she did anyway, not knowing that everything that her son would ever do, beginning then, would be different from all the other children, all the other men, all of his life, because his calling was so much, much bigger than anything Mary could have ever imagined. And contrary to the way this incident may look to us, Jesus really was not defying his earthly parents in order to be obedient to the Heavenly Father. It was simply a demarcation that was being put into place, an incident that God would use to give further indication to Mary and Joseph that just as they had been told by those angels back there in the beginning, this young son of theirs truly was very, very different, different from other people. And he had begun to behave in very different ways. As it is with each of us as parents, God equips us for the task of training our children. And no doubt Mary and Joseph had been equipped to teach Jesus rightly as he grew and matured. And I must say that I believe, though we're not told, I believe that they were also probably given some special knowledge and insight that might not always be given to people like you and me. I think often of those private moments within the home and family as Jesus was growing up. Mary and Joseph were no doubt given special knowledge and insight on how to respond to their special young son. Jesus truly was a special child. And we get confirmation of their special teaching as we read these words here in verse 52. We're told, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Part of that comes from good parental teaching as well as, of course, the Holy Spirit. And then also in verse 51, we see the response of the Lord Jesus. And oh, it was such a right one. There we're told, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Folks, in this one verse, God is revealing a very special character quality that was present within Jesus that is essential to everything that he would ever do in the future. And that character quality that's being revealed here is humility. Humility. Here we're told that Jesus very willingly went back home with his parents and was subject to them. Already, Jesus was sensing this special difference deep within his soul. But still, he did not make demands to be treated differently. He instead simply humbled himself and became subject to his parents. Let me say without reservation that I believe that humility is the most important character quality that is present within Jesus. And to say further that that same humility is the most important character quality that can be present within you and me. Humility. Imagine this for a moment. Jesus, the very one who had created and put into motion all the matters of life and of creation, but yet he chose 
to simply humble himself and to be subject to two of the very creatures that he himself created. Jesus' humility was truly one of the most powerful attributes that compelled the events of his life. And then as we read further in the scriptures, especially in Philippians chapter 2, we find that humility was a compelling force, the compelling force, that carried him even to the cross. There we're told in verse 5 of Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why is humility so important? Why was it so important for Jesus to humble himself, to bring his own wants and desires, his own plans, and especially his own moment-by-moment emotions under submission to not just God the Father in heaven, but even and especially to his earthly mother and father, Mary and Joseph. Why was it? Why is humility so very important? It's because humility is the exact opposite of the one thing that these scriptures define as the most common of all sins, that of pride, that of pride. To use the words of Oswald Chambers, pride is best seen in the demands that you and I make as we lay claim to our right to ourself, as I would make claim to my right to myself. And that kind of pride truly does seem to be the most common of all sins. As I make my claim to my right to myself, I deny the Lordship of Christ. I separate myself from all other authority that would rule over me, including God in heaven. My claim to my right to myself says to everyone watching, I am my own man, and no one will be allowed to rule over me and to control my behavior. I'm the ruler of my own soul. That's the special sin that Satan first committed when he and his fallen angels turned against God and were cast out of heaven. And that was also the sin that Adam and Eve committed in denying God's lordship over them and choosing to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately, that has become your and my most common sin. It might manifest itself differently in each of us, but it's still the same sin. And it is still as sinful and as destructive as it was from the beginning. But listen, in his humility, in his humility, Jesus turned away from any and all claims to his right, to himself. He did it as a child, here in these words, and he would do it as he grew into manhood. We're told that Jesus never once sinned, not even one time never once demanded claim to his right to himself. You'll recall that on the night before he was crucified, as he struggled there in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to God his Father, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Humility is never easy. 
it's so difficult to surrender and to submit ourselves to others and especially to God but humility is truly the only way to godliness and it cannot be done halfway our submission must be complete and without reservation these scriptures tell us that we are to humble ourselves and to become a servant to all and even and especially to those who are not easily served, those who might even mistreat us. Simply put, you and I are to have the same humility as the Lord Jesus. One last thought. On that occasion there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they were saying in essence, we want to be about our business. Think about that. They were saying, we want to be about our business. We want to think for ourselves. We want to make decisions about the things that we want to do. We want to decide what is right and what is wrong. But here at 12 years of age, Jesus already knew who he was and what he was born to do. He was the son of the Father in heaven. And the business that his father had sent him to accomplish had already begun even at that age he had been sent to seek and to save those who are lost and his training for that mission and purpose needed to begin even at that age that young age and he was getting about that divinely appointed business and God our Father wants you and me to do the same to get about his business may I close with these words let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray.